0: What I love about Eagle Rock is that it's not Silver Lake. There's funky people in Eagle Rock, right, in a good way. But again, it's very unpretentious. There's that word again. Eagle Rock is not a pretentious neighborhood because you do have, like, the place that makes their own ketchup, which is a cool thing, right? I share—people love to denigrate hipsters, but I—think about it. If you're a bon vivant of any kind, you likely share more in common with the hipsters than you don't. The hipsters like good shit, right? They want to drink their frenette or whatever.
1: Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., Eagle Rock Edition. As you may have noticed, we took a brief hiatus for the Black Plague to settle down. And uh, even though we're waxed and vaxxed and boosted, not everybody else was. And the last thing I wanted to do was be a super spreader and make people think I wasn't taking this seriously. I take everything seriously, Juanita. So we're back, and we're black, and we are in the beautiful neighborhood of Eagle Rock. Today, we're chatting it up with Joe Armstrong, who's a rock musician, a rock climber, a radio and podcast producer, and one of the best people you're ever gonna meet in Eagle Rock, Glendale, or over at Tony Starts Away in Burbank. The music you'll hear throughout this hour will mostly be from Joe and his new record. And yes, it will be a record. Vinyl. Yes. Yes. So get comfy and turn up the V. And thanks for allowing us to put ourselves in a little time out. But now we are back and we are not going anywhere for a long, long time. Hey, everybody, it's uh, Joe Armstrong's house. Uh, we are in uh, Eagle Rock, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff in just 40 minutes. Joe, you and I grew up in Illinois. Were you born there?
0: was born in Alabama, but I was brought to Illinois before I had said my first words or taken my first steps. So uh, Southern by birth, I suppose. I know a thing or two about barbecue. But uh, Yankee, as they say, by Raisin. Uh, grew up in Chicago. When did you move to LA? Moved to LA about 17 years ago, I believe. So I'm. Nobody can do math. Practically naturalized California. What is that 2004? Citizen. I left for <laughs> California on the day of the Banda Acha earthquake. The very day. <laughs> There's a whole story associated with this. Like it's because it's it was such an interesting thing because uh, the the big rental truck that you when you move across the country invariably doesn't have anything to connect uh, a stereo to iPods barely existed at that time. So you're stuck with this radio, right? And it's a three day drive in this big moving truck with all your shit. Uh, I can swear, right? Of course. Okay, All your shit and a dog, I just got a dog, and all my things, and I'm towing my car, I'm like, I'm headed to California, you know, going west, just like the Zeppelin song, right? Yeah. Manifest Destiny, and so I get in, it's the day after Christmas, it's Boxing Day, that would have made it 2003, four, whatever day that was when the earthquake happened, and I get in the car, and the first news reports are coming in. Uh, There's been an earthquake in the Indian Ocean, there's, you know, reports are just coming in. It seems like it was kind of big, but, you know, there's like 20 dead. And then, it was, you know, I'm an NPR listener to this day. Yeah. And so, you know, they would give reports, you know, every like 20 minutes or so was the national news. And as I'm moving west, you know, you have to change your dial just a little bit. All those NPR stations are on the left side of the dial, the low numbers. And it became apparent very quickly with these reports, you know, by noon that day, they were— so I left at 8 or whatever. So by 9, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's 200 dead. By 10, there's 500 dead. But by noon, the sheer scale of this disaster was starting, just starting to become apparent. I mean, it, didn't it wind up being over 200,000 dead?
1: I don't remember.
0: It was, it was huge. A I'm an American. I can't even <laughs> believe that you remember the name of the earthquake. Dude, if 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 I can't make money at it, if it's useless knowledge, I'm your man. You come to me. <laughs> I've got you covered, I swear. Well, we're we're
1: in your beautiful apartment, which I friggin' love. I see a Tom Petty pillow. I see a, a Gretsch guitar. Burglars. It's 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 not a, a super expensive, but it's nice. <laughs> and it sounded great when I was approaching That's your place. Nice of you to say thank You've you. You've got
0: that plugged into what over here? Uh, that is an amplifier. <laughs> is it now? Smart ass, right? Uh, that is a tiny little amp called an exits x4 i'm also a musician uh tube amp aficionado that particular thing it's tantamount to like a box ac4 is that a tube amp oh yeah all my amps are Look except, at save one
1: you've got like um i uh, like 10 uh, uh pedals over there yeah it's my pedal board i don't see any wawa uh
0: i do own a wawa pedal they're big they're big uh yeah. pedals so they take up a lot of real estate on my
1: You've point. got a piano, you've got a keyboard, you've got your dog is so well behaved in for her the mo- crate
0: f- for the moment, yes.
1: Um I see you've got beer and wine. You're you're like a real adult.
0: Farm League Renaissance man is what I, is how I refer to myself. <laughs> I heard you just turned 50 years old. Shut up, man. Shh. Ah, come on, you're taking. Shh. Shh. Or No, or is- no it's, it's the music thing People, like the older you get The less people are interested in, in listening to- I, I honestly, I don't care how old I am I'm just happy to still be in the game in any way But people, but I do care how people perceive me to be And by that I mean I don't want to get, I don't want to be disinvited or uninvited to things Because people make assumptions about me because of my age
1: Well, I'll, I'll put it this way And I'm not kissing your ass I'm not here to kiss anybody's ass, ever You don't look 50
0: that's nice of you to say.
1: Also, I think it's okay to um, discriminate against musicians once they get older. Because come on, most of them suck after a certain age.
0: Tony, most of them suck before they get there to you go. a certain age.
1: There you go. Now, Mr. Tom Waits, exception. Mr. Tom Petty, who you've got on the wall over of there. Of course, household names. Another ex- exception. and And I think it's good to try to be that exception.
0: Well, that's the goal all the way along is to build a career, a sustainable career. In fact, I would argue,
1: I'll put it this way. I'd rather have older Tom Waits. Like, no, I'm, I'm sorry, more recent Tom Waits la-
0: la- Later day Tom Waits. Yeah. Wouldn't you? That's my, my favorite era started in the middle. Tom Waits, if you're a fan, he has kind of three somewhat distinct phases. That's right. He's, his, his initial phase, he came out of San Diego. Uh, the, Look at the, you. The drunken barroom... Uh, Karuner guy. So you, right? but but
1: you like the Rain Dogs era, is what you're saying. That's when it
0: starts for me because yeah. he, his wife Kathleen Brennan, his musical partner and wife, uh, he was having dreams about different sounds. Because and she kind of she cleaned him up. You know he was kind of a fuck up. You know his career was, had gone okay, but he was living his own caricature of being the drunken, chain smoking, gravelly voiced piano balladeer, and it was cool. You know those early albums are great. I love them. Yeah, but he evolved into something so infinitely more complex than that caricature that he'd created. Now it's a good thing you, you I feel like you kind of we were having this conversation before. You you have to build some kind of persona, right? Like when you can you can be that as well. You can live that persona. But you have to create something new and interesting or at least something different. Yeah. You know, like Bowie with the the Lightning Bolt in the, uh, what's the one? Ziggy, Ziggy. Stardust. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, Elton John with the outfits and the sunglasses and the thing. Like you have to show him something. It's showbiz, man. So Tom Waits had created this character, but some people find that character, you're in a box. You're in a box that you created for yourself. Anyway, back to Tom Waits. He, this is like a lesson on Tom Waits, a treatise. He, he wanted to tr- transcend that. His wife, Kathleen Brennan, helped him. He got sober, thankfully. He was on that path. And created first it was Frank's Wild Years and then Rain Dogs. It sounded like gypsy music. H- hold on though, can you use that word anymore? Can, it, can you? I use, don't think you can. Uh, I don't it, think you can. So what? What, what would it be? It's like the mode. Well,
1: okay, you can. I think you can say gypsy music because it refers to a certain era.
0: Well, that's what I mean, and it's it's certain scales. It's 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 more about a musical mode, right? Than it is the people themselves. It's we're in gray territory in terms of that. So forgive me if I'm stepping on anybody's toes or violating the new rules. I I have no interest in doing that.
1: But you mentioned Frank's Wild Years, right? That song, Frank's Wild Years, Mm -hmm. isn't that about a a guy in the valley?
0: Yeah. Right yeah. around the
1: corner, basically. Yeah, I right? never
0: could stand that dog. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but but then the thing is, he did a couple, you know, two or three albums in that vein and then evolved again into this, like, I, I would call it industrial music. But when I say that, I don't mean Nine Inch Nails. I mean, it's Chains. And like machines. Yeah. And he created... Anvils. Anvils. He invented this instrument that he called the conundrum, which is this big metal cross that he just... You go to the junkyard and find things and hanging on it. And he would play it like an instrument with like drumsticks or crowbars or whatever. Yeah. And that started with Bone Machine about
1: 1992. Um, Anyway, enough about that. You changed your life, sir.
0: I did. Many times.
1: When you came out to LA. I did. Did you land here in Eagle Rock?
0: I landed in Glendale first. Uh-huh. Uh, like like any good musician, I followed a girl. Uh, uh, although how romantic! It's a little more complex than that. I did. I followed a girl in New York. I lived in New York for a while as well. Ninth and Forty Ninth in Manhattan. Uh, cool place to live. Never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. They, well, it's, it's very fascinating. Endless. Maybe one day
1: place. I'll do a podcast or wherever that is. Let's
0: do it together. We'll go. Yeah. I, I would love. I haven't been back in a while, and I always tell people when they go, please pee on my doorstep at Ninth and Forty Ninth for old times' sake, if you would. <laughs> Uh, had a great experience there, but it's, it's, a, it's a very, very different beast. New York is even coming from Chicago, which is a very urban environment. Uh, LA's or, uh, New York's an entirely different thing. Moved to LA. Where in, where in Glendale were you at? I was one block South of where the, um, uh, the, uh, gallery, what's the bigger, newer mall, the brand? The newer one, yeah, the Americana, yeah, the Americana, grade? yeah. yeah. cuz the, the, uh, the Galleria was already there. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, they built another the one right next door. So one block south of the you know where Foxy's Diner is, love Foxy's, right on Diner. Colorado. I live within a frisbee's throw of Foxy's Diner. Uh,
1: Foxy's is a block away from that jewelry store that mm-hmm. has the almost a fishbowl where you can watch the the dudes. Uh...
0: Yeah, that's the one that's right on the corner of Brandon Central, right? Yeah. Yep, my, so, my least one of my least favorite intersections in this city of Glendale
1: were you a fan of Armenians before you came to Glendale
0: I had only tacitly heard that a country a place called Armenia had even existed same here's a here's the thing a friend of mine and I hope I'm not any offending anyone when I say this either because I've not, no, I've got no truck with the Armenians they're fine just as much as anybody else there's jerks in every culture I've learned that for sure is that I was when I, I told a friend of mine who had lived out here already from my hometown I said I'm moving to Glendale and he said well <laughs> he said, "Glendale's great if you can if you can handle the Armenians." And I was like, "What in God? What are you talking about?" And once I landed in Glendale, I learned very quickly exactly what he was talking about. Again, not making any value judgment, but it's definitely a presence.
1: I I I've lived in Little Armenia for a little while, so I I think it's fair to say this because um, I asked one of one of uh, these Armenian dudes. I was like, "Why are you guys so angry all the time? You got these beautiful women all around you." You're in America, and he's like, "Cause it ain't Armenia."
0: He's like, "Are you happy?" Well, that being makes at? sense.
1: He's like, "Chicago Cub fan? Are you happy being at Dodger Stadium?" I was like, "Touche."
0: Yeah.
1: You want to be back home. Yeah. You know.
0: I can't imagine the weather's better there. No, I can't. I can't imagine.
1: But they are They are. They do seem pissed off, though. Oh yeah. For for all of the immigrants that are here in LA, of which there are countless, yeah, they seem to be the most bitter.
0: The funny thing, yeah, I, that, I agree with that as well. The interesting thing for me is my mom's side is Eastern European, huh. so and then vaguely Russian, like Eastern European Baltic states. Yeah, and hundred percent on that side. My dad's side is more of a melting pot: Scotch, yeah. Irish. But so that sort of like scowling, perpetually vexed, gruff kind of macho machismo thing. Yeah, it's it didn't really manifest in my family, but I understood it in some primal way, the way that the Russians and the Baltic yes. people, it's it's a it's a darker perception. I've, I've, I've once read if you walk down the street in Russia with a smile on your face, people think you're insane.
1: You know, I follow this YouTuber. Um, I think her YouTube is called Yeah, Russia. And she's um like, I think she just graduated college. And she was commiserating with another Russian YouTuber about when they visited the U.S. Mm -hmm. for like three or four months. And the guy said he was a server at like IHOP or something. And he said at the end of the day, his face was sore because he was taught that in America, you have to smile. Oh, Jesus, especially at the restaurant. And he said, my muscles were not ready for that. And she. She is as sweet as can be. She was like, oh, my God, I felt exactly the same way. How do they smile that much?
0: Have you been to Iowa? Surely you've been to of Iowa. Of course. The friendliest place. You know, we come from the Midwest, you and I, originally. Yeah. Yeah. Which, a place I consider to be a friendly place. Having traveled around the world, I've been to 49 of the 50 states, been to more than a dozen countries. Uh, I love where I'm from a lot. And I, I miss the friendliness of the people. there. And, and it's rem- when I go back there now... I, I can see it more in relief. Like we just took it for granted. Now, of course, there are jerks there too. Like yeah. we said before, there are jerks in every culture, in yeah. every town, in every gender, in every socioeconomic group you can possibly think of. Yeah. Uh, but I was in Iowa and I was going to an event that I, for which I had to shave. So I had to go, and I, but I had, hadn't traveled with a razor. So I had to go to a Target on like a Saturday morning. Uh-huh. We all know how targets are laid out. They're about the same. You go in the front door, and then you got to take a left. This is this is the not the multi level ones like we have here right. in the big bad city. So it's a big you know labyrinth, labyrinthine kind of situation. So you walk in, all the registers are there, but then you got to hang a left or a right, and you got to go down fifteen or so aisles to where all the the pharmacy and the hair care products and whatnot are. Yeah, that's where I knew I would find my razor, and I did. But I <laughs> shit you not, between the door. And where the razors were, I probably 15 bright, shiny, fresh-faced kids were like, "Good morning, sir. can I help you?" And I was like, "Holy shit, yeah, but I, but it's great. you know there, there's something it's hard to explain because I is lived, great. I've lived in cities for a long time, so I, I'm accustomed to being ignored, let's say, right because there's an anonymity to living in the city, which I, I enjoy, right. But I also miss that esprit de corps of, like, joy de vivre that people have when you're from a town that people give a shit about each other. It's hard to explain.
1: You live on the furthest, would you call this west side of Eagle Rock? Yes. Okay. In between two targets. Like, you could ride a bicycle to the Glendale Target at that Glendale Galleria. Right. But you could probably crawl to the one in the Eagle Rock Mall. Correct. Can we talk
0: about the Eagle Rock Mall? (laughs) Let's. Because I love that mall. I have bad news for you. What? Did you hear that? Now, I haven't heard anything about it in a while, but I think that mall is not long for this earth.
1: I don't, I mean, I can understand why. It's it's it doesn't seem healthy
0: financially that's the word on the street was that it was sold a quick google search will tell you as much as as, is publicly available but i think it's slated for some kind of dear god i mean i hate to say it's
1: primo real estate it's primo
0: real estate it's at the corner of two freeways in la yeah it's a big lot it's a cool i mean I love this part of town. This is my favorite part of Los Angeles. Um, really? I've been here a long time. Um, I mean, look, if, if I could afford a craftsman in South Pass, would I live in a craftsman in South Pass? Right. Sure, maybe. But this ties into coming from a flat place. What I love about this part of L.A. is that I've got hills all over the place that are undeveloped, and that is a very, very key distinction. Yeah. When you're on the west side of L.A., first of all, uh, <laughs> to start a cross-town war, everything west of Western Avenue is west L.A. to me. Okay. We're talking about this mall. Yeah, let's go back to the mall. The (laughs) mall, not long for this world. I think, God help me, it's going to be like live, work, shop, nightmare.
1: Okay, but but here's what's interesting about this mall. Because I don't know about you, but I go back to Illinois usually once a year. Right. Because of COVID, I haven't been able to. But the mall that I grew up with is basically abandoned. The mall. This one... Hardly has any empty uh, slots.
0: Well, here's a crazy thing. If you want to talk about malls, I grew up between uh, like Aurora and Naperville two Chicago, two of the bigger cities in Illinois that aren't Chicago. Right. I and- think I think I heard that Aurora is number two. Aurora, I think, is number two now. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was number three. Rockford was always a little bit bigger. Were, were you east or west Aurora? I was east, but so, I was technically Aurora Township. So, excuse me, so far north and east. We were I could see Fermilab, which uh-huh. is the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory where they've got the atom smasher. I could see, if you walked out of my front door out to where my mailbox was and looked to the north, you could see the building. If wow, were that close. Uh, that mall's ruined over there? Well, the Fox Valley Mall went in when I was a kid and it, it when it, at the point of it's it was uh it, it was out by Route 59 again, west of Chicago. Yep. Uh where Naperville was trying to get it on their side of Route 59 because that would have meant all the tax revenue, etc. would go to Naperville. Aurora was campaigning to get it on on our side. Aurora won. I don't know how. I was a kid. Yeah. But at the time that it was completed in the late 70s, early 80s, it was the biggest mall in the world. It predated the Mall of America. Malls were big in the 80s and 70s. It predated Woodfield? Well, I don't know if it predated Woodfield, but it was the biggest mall. Hmm. It was—I mean, or it was Let's it with how they sold it to us. It was, it was huge. And, and now you're saying that that mall is a ghost mall? No, I, I haven't been to that mall in forever. That area just exploded. There's so much out but, there but now. But this is
1: what I don't understand about this mall, though. Macy's is still running. Target
0: isn't the greatest Target, but how can you be if you've got the Glendale Target over here? I think— now, well, the malls of a similar size to the Eagle Rock Mall, where I grew up, there was a mall called uh, the St. Charles Mall. You keep trying to go back to Illinois. Why? Well, but I'm, it's, just a, it's a frame of reference for size. But, but that's for you and me. But to, The people listening to this are like... Let's imagine a mid-sized mall in any town in America, right? Circa mid-80s. Uh-huh. Mid-sized mall, anchor store at either end, maybe one in the middle, maybe right. a movie theater. Yeah, Almost, a lot of those malls are just gone. Is gone, Is that the gone.
1: problem with this mall over here? I don't know. Is it, is
0: there? There's no movie theater. There was a movie theater. Was I, there? I, I have a close friend who grew up in Eagle Rock, graduated from Eagle Rock High School. Uh huh. Is coincidentally moving out of California for the first time in her life in her fifties. So, interesting stories coming out of her. You should talk to her. She grew up in Eagle Rock. She's, Where does she live now? Uh, she just moved to Anaheim. Her husband's... Forget that, then. husband's parent died, but she grew Ooh. up in Eagle Rock. She's most Who of cares? <laughs> Trader. <laughs> 818, or I'm sorry, 714. I don't even know what that even is. But, uh, well, the, all I'm trying to say is that those malls are gone-gone.
1: Right. Just gone-gone. Gone. They don't exist anymore. That's my point. They're making money off of this mall.
0: Someone is. Uh, Why tear
1: it down for a wee WeWork.
0: It's got uh, well. It's got a weird parking situation with that it double level garage, which is a earthquake hazard. That's the one thing. Every time I'm over there, those things pancake, man. That thing can collapse. Well, that's that's those multi level. How do they garages. let it stay up there then? Well, it's probably it probably precedes certain you know certain things get grandfathered in. You can only fix it so well. I don't know. I don't know how this works. I'm not a geologist, man. What? Nor am I a structural engineer. I know a lot of bullshit random facts. But What's I don't that hard know. hat doing over there then? Get out of here. Uh, but well, I, I, look, I love having it there. There's been a handful of times where I got like a last minute job interview. And I was like, holy shit, I need a tie. And there's a Macy's right there. There's also really good Filipino food in there. There's really good Filipino food. There's one of those crazy like Filipino fish market situations yes. down there. Uh, which when the pandemic was in its heyday and people were going ape shit for groceries yeah. there was a line out the door to get into that Filipino market down there
1: it's supermarkets in floundering walls are my favorite thing because they do not belong there
0: yeah and yet
1: when they're there, I can't resist but to go in
0: yeah well it's kind of like uh, oh God, Virgil's hardware just closed in Glendale. Local hardware stores, local everything. We could talk for 70 hours about the corporatization of America and my personal feelings on that. Which is another reason I love this mall. Which is another reason I love this mall, too. I mean, granted, it's anchored by a Target and a Macy's. You got to. But fine. But Virgil's closed... Uh, rumor, I think they took most of the stuff over to the do It Center in Burbank. I think that's still <laughs> a uh, we call it the do It in the Butts. <laughs> hey now, <laughs> uh, which is a it's a, it's an inside joke, which is not an, also an inside joke. <laughs> but so uh, it's what, just, what? I, I love the local stuff. You know, Glendale is interesting because uh, again, close to Eagle Rock. Yes, but it's uh, it's a municipality unto itself, like yes. Burbank. Right. Like Pasadena. So much of LA is part of that same monolith that is LA. So it's a different situation. Which,
1: which I hope this podcast are, is going to teach the listeners over time that there's a difference between the neighborhood of Eagle Rock and the city of Glendale that's right next door. Correct. And, um, and some of that might have to do with commercialization. For example, Colorado, as we go past the mall
0: towards Pasadena, mm-hmm.
1: I really love Colorado. Oh, I
0: love it over there. I love it. I love it. I love this neighborhood, man. I really, really do. I, I discovered it kind of by accident because when I first lived here, like I said, I lived over in Glendale. We would sometimes go to the Eagle Rock Trader Joe's. The Glendale Trader Joe's has since been moved. It was now it's a laser tag place, I think. Anyway, that's L.A. for you, but the. Is the parking okay at the Eagle Rock uh, Trader Joe's? Parking sucks at all the Trader Joe's, but at least you got some street uh, street parking though. Yeah, but it's one of those places where it's like it's it's close, kind of the heart of Glendale, and it's also close to the freeway. The, the Trader Joe's one is far superior, which they also redid, although they kept it in the same location. Yeah, but there are certain tricks that you know you, you learn your tricks when you live in a neighborhood like where to park and still be able to saunter in and saunter out without going through the bloodbath of a Trader Joe's. Saunter
1: parking is lot. the perfect word for that street.
0: You can. If you want to... Oh, you mean Eagle Rock Bowl. Uh, yeah. Uh, Colorado. Colorado. Rock, yeah.
1: You can park at the end of it, hold hands with your girl, and just stroll down one side of the street, and then turn around and stroll on the other side, and there's cool little restaurants. Yeah. Um, what is it? The Oinkster? The
0: Oinkster's there. It's like upscale fast food. You've <laughs> Which is got, weird. There's a few... It's good, though. They make their own ketchup, I think. It's a, <laughs> it's a detail. If you're into artisanal ketchup, it's the place for What's you. What's the
1: coffee shop at the very end of it?
0: The the like like right like, uh, like, like the it's
1: middle a 50s. of it. It's a 50s coffee shop, like it's Cindy's or something.
0: Oh yeah, Cindy's, and they do a lot of film. is it Cindy's? Yeah, they do. Cindy's. Look at There's me. a lot of filming at Cindy's.
1: Well, no crap. I like, mean, it's a cool. It look makes look sense because it looks like typical midwestern. Yeah. 50s. Have yeah. you eaten there
0: though? I have eaten there. What's it like? It's good, somewhat spendy. For what oh. it is, but it's good. but for, for someone who is an independent freelance musician, media creator type, it's a little prohibitive, right? to go on any kind of regular basis.
1: Then, then let me ask you about your lady because when I had a lady living in
0: <laughs> a special lady friend,
1: as I re- <laughs> refer to refer to her as when I was dating a 75 year old woman, no, when, when I was living in Westwood, there was Dolores's coffee shop. Mm -hmm. which RIP and we lived a couple blocks away from there and she loved on Saturday morning Sunday morning saying can we go to Dolores's and I was like why are we paying $25 at the end of the day for bacon and eggs when I can make that for you right now topless
0: I can I can answer that I can I I can take a crack at it at least. please do it's to say I'm a pub guy yes not a bar guy I don't want to go to the sports bar I like going to the pub because it's the commiseration. Right. It's the vibe of the it's the din of the conversation. I've met I've met lifelong friends at the pub. Are you a Tony's Darts Away guy? I am a Tony's Darts Away guy. That's my spot in LA.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. On Magnolia, easy parking. What's great about it, I'm a beer nerd. Been making beer for twenty years. Yeah. Tony starts away in Burbank on Magnolia. Gets my official nod. I will. I, I, you won't see me wearing branded things, but I would. I have Tony's hat. I will. Do you hurt. play the, the board games when you go over there? I have, but we tend to not because it's a pub. I'm just there to shoot the shit. I'm there and to drink good beers and drink good beer. But it's the thing about Tony's as much of a craft beer. I've been a craft beer guy since the '90s. It can get very pretentious very quickly. Oh. And, I don't care about that. Well, but, but I do because I mean I'm a Midwesterner, man. But, but like,
1: who do you think is judging you? Fuck that guy.
0: It's it's not that I feel like I'm being judged. It's the whole experience can feel kind of pretentious. But again,
1: who are you nervous is looking down upon you?
0: I, it's, it has nothing to do with how people perceive me or how I feel about anything. Uh-huh. It has to, it has to, it's about the environment itself. Different things the, have different the fellow
1: pubbers. You have a problem with? The
0: vibe, right? Uh, you go to a sports bar, you expect a certain vibe. Yes. You go to a, a club. <laughs> you go to the club, <laughs> you're expecting a certain vibe. You don't go to the club to have a pub conversation, right. nor do you go to the pub to have a club experience, yes. right? Some of the craft beer places, and I say this, I guess somewhat out of love, I'm part of this community, in as much as it is a community, can just get snooty,
1: hmm.
0: right? Tony's... There's no liquor, first of all, so not, you don't have to worry about that kind of vibe, even though I love some scotch. I sure. uh, love a good margarita. I love lots of things. love a good martini. But the vibe is different. Tony's, Tony's is like a dive bar, except the beer is great. That's the key. Wood-paneled walls, old beer signs like your your buddy in Chicago's dad's basement bar that he built yeah. back in the 70s and 80s. and the staff is great. I can't speak highly enough of them. There's a limited menu. The food's fine. I don't go there for the food. Right. But they also cater to a lot of veg and vegan people there, which is great. Uh, it's options. So slightly healthier choice. The beer is all great. There's no shitty beer of any kind. Yeah. But you don't get that. You never get looked down upon for, or how, how am I going to even say this? I don't know. You just it's just never it's never an issue. Everyone's there to have great conversation and great beer. And right. that's that's just an end of it, man. Yeah. They have some TVs, but the place isn't dominated by TVs. And I've never seen a fight there. <laughs> Challenge accepted.
1: Is Kobe in the top five?
0: I'd have to look at a longer list, man. Because would you? I would not say so. No. It's hard to say, man. I would not say the so. The league is so different in the different times. You know, you go back to the old school cats. I,
1: not- I mean, God bless Kobe and it's sad ending, tragic ending.
0: Tragic ending.
1: And I love all the murals everywhere, you know? Yeah. I don't see that many murals uh, in Eagle Rock of Kobe.
0: Yeah, not as many. But whatever. But no. Not top Eagle five. Rock's funky, man. Tying it back into what we were talking about before. What I love about Eagle Rock is that it's not Silver Lake. There's funky people in Eagle Rock, right? In a good way. But... Again, it's very unpretentious. There's that word again. Eagle Rock is not a pretentious neighborhood because you do have like the place that makes their own ketchup, which is a cool thing, right? Yeah. I share people love to denigrate hipsters, but I you think about it, if you're a bon vivant of any kind, you likely share more in common with the hipsters than you don't. Right. The hipsters like good shit. Yeah. Right? They, they want to drink their frenet or whatever. Bob but,
1: Dylan's first couple records would have been called hipster music.
0: Sure. Kramer was a hipster. We all love Kramer, right? What about video? It's, is going to be over there. That's I've heard good things. And I think it was that sign went up. I jog through there all the time. Yeah. And that sign went up before the pandemic. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And then obviously record scratch, everything comes to a screeching halt. Yeah, whatever. You know, so, but they, the sign's still there. So I hope it does. That was a dance studio, mm. but not like a, like a New York style one, like an old school ballroom dancing studio.
1: So let me ask you about, uh, the fact that you climb these crazy mountains.
0: Here in LA, uh, am I crazy for climbing them, or the mountains crazy, Tony? That's the question.
1: <laughs> Did you see that? Uh, speaking, we can talk about Naperville for one minute. Uh oh!
0: See now you're doing it.
1: Did you see the 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 photoshopped image of
0: the petition? Yes. Let's yes.
1: put a mountain on Naperville. Yes.
0: <laughs> Tony, my best one. Of, well, I have a couple of best friends. One of those two best friends' grandfather was the mayor of Naperville.
1: How about to that?
0: To tie it all together, he was the mayor of Naperville who lost the bid to get the mall on the east side of Route Fifty Nine. Loser.
1: So he wasn't. He wasn't a mafia guy then.
0: <laughs> no, that's the problem. No, he had the wrong last name, I suppose.
1: Okay, so you go hiking Mount Whitney. Where do you go mostly when you go hiking?
0: Well, l- locally, Mount uh, uh, Baldy. Mount how, San Antonio. How which far is,
1: away is that, uh, driving-wise?
0: 30-ish miles. It's about an hour to get to the trail. Excuse me, 30 miles to get to the trail. So in the winter
1: time, <laughs> is this winter? Yes. Okay. Um, this is February for people in the future. Um, I ask because we're in bikinis right now, <laughs> and for Chicagoans, this I, would be— I wore
0: my finest bikini because I knew you yeah. were coming over.
1: So in winter, if you want to do some some cold, snowy— mountain climbing
0: mountaineering is what we would call it
1: you only have to drive an hour yeah again one of the beauties of living here
0: Shit, man When i if you would have told me when i was growing up in the suburbs of chicago standing at a school bus stop at negative five degrees with winds whipping past freezing my cojones off that i would intentionally drive to a mountain with an <laughs> ice axe and crampons, I would have thought you were out of your mind. So set that, you know, just wasn't a thing that we considered. We would see Nova specials on the guys climbing <laughs> Mount Everest. But and I, even when I moved out here, if you would, you know, 17 years ago, if you would have told me that mountaineering was something I would get into. First of all, I would think, what, are you out of your mind? Los Angeles is fake breasts and palm trees and the entertainment industry. Right. With all due respect to those things, as wonderful as they all are, I didn't even know. There was a 10,000-foot mountain with snow on it every winter, less than an hour from downtown Los Angeles. And, I would have thought you were nuts.
1: And bringing it back to Eagle Rock, if you were living in Venice, it would take you an hour just to get here. So Yeah, yeah. So one of the benefits of living in Eagle Rock, mm-hmm. which is, the I think, the most eastern neighborhood of L.A. County.
0: Uh, L.A. City? L.A. City. L.A. City. Thank you. Right. Well, where does it break when you're down by like Boyle Heights, though? When does it switch over into other municipalities? Yeah, I have right. no idea. Yeah, I know. So let's it's, put an asterisk. Of, let's put an asterisk on that statement. So, anyways,
1: being on this side of town,
0: right, we'll put it like that,
1: is 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 the perfect place to be if you're a nut with yeah crampons. If
0: you're into outdoor activities and you want to get to Sierra Nevada-like conditions relatively easily, being in Burbank, maybe Glendale, Eagle Rock. Pasadena is the ideal place for you.
1: Uh, have you done this crazy climbing recently?
0: Uh, you mean, I've not been up Mount Baldy this particular winter. We got all of our snow around the holidays, but Omicron was going apeshit at the time. But,
1: but isn't that a safe place? To be- it is,
0: but man, things just felt weird. The holidays had just ended. We yeah. had just gotten a lot of rain, which is the best time to go. Um, although I got to tell you, with, with all due respect to the Angelinos, they have no earthly clue how to drive forget rain true put him in the snow on an incline up by mount baldy you you wouldn't believe we made the mistake of trying to go up there on new year's day one time because it had just snowed which never just rain which meant snow thinking oh, this would be great no one will be up there we made it up there fine because we went up there It was dark you know we got up there at 5 a.m or whatever coming down at noon there was a line if anyone's ever been to mount baldy or mount baldy village or skied up at the um I always forget the name of the ski area that's up there. Maybe it's just called Mount Baldy. I don't even know. But coming down, it was wall-to-wall cars for miles and miles and miles. And that's the time people got stuck up there because there's no gas. There's no services up there. People just got stuck in their cars. You see that happen from time to time.
1: So we should get a gas station together.
0: No, the people should just stay away. If, If you don't know what you're doing, maybe you should come up another time.
1: But they don't know what they're doing. They
0: don't. Most people don't (laughs) about anything. Hell, I don't know what I'm doing.
1: So um, do you get any kind of a spiritual buzz when you are in nature, pushing yourself physically, accomplishing
0: these goals? Or is it something else? Uh, If if you allow me to use the word spiritual in a non-religious way. Then yes, absolutely. Uh, I do not commune with what other people would, for me personally, since you asked me personally, I don't go there to commune, nor do I commune with any kind of what someone would perceive to be a conscious deity or deities when I'm doing that kind of thing. Uh, But it can very much be said in as much as I would ever go to church or a church. I've sung in tons of churches, grew up Catholic. I was even an altar boy once upon a time. Uh, I think that's why then I, th- my, I have a theory that
1: if, if you were in the church very young and in a, in a, in a, um, a more than average way, altar boy, mm-hmm. it's not cool when you're older. Like for some reason it, it, because you didn't discover it yourself is my theory. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't ring true to you. Yeah. And and I would say this extends to people who go to Catholic schools, uh, any sort of religious school. I went to
0: school. Catholic school through fifth grade.
1: There you go. But if you somehow become spiritual later in life, where you're the one making the decision, then I feel it rings true. For example, Mary uh, Carrion, who we interviewed um, in the Venice episodes, um, put a picture, a time-lapse picture, of mushrooms growing out of a, a tree stump, psychedelic mushrooms. And first thing I thought was, oh look, look at God showing off over there. <laughs> but I think somebody like you probably would never go down that path, which I'm, I'm not judging you or me. I'm just saying that I feel like if I were in nature, and actually anytime I am in nature, I think about God. And I think, what, what a genius way to do the circle of life, of course, you're going to need trees. And of course, they're going to bring out oxygen. And of course, the animals are going to make carbon. Dioxide. Like this, this thing to me is not luck. This isn't like, you know, a bunch of gas has just exploded and all of a sudden you've got magic mushrooms that trip you out <laughs> <laughs> or lungs or skin that heals itself you know, and, or a butthole. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of good engineering, you know? And so, but I totally get why people don't, but I don't think I could ever resist thinking about God if I were climbing a mountain. In, in fact, if there's danger, I'm going to be like begging him
0: for help. And it's always a him now, isn't it? Well. I hate to say it, but in it, I mean, I guess I was raised that way. In the tradition in which yeah. you were raised, and yeah. wherever you came to it yourself. I mean, I
1: belong to a church that that tries to knock that off, mm-hmm. but but that's my point: is that I always kind of go there, and I'm fascinated by people who don't go there.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I live in our culture, and as as much as anyone else does, I read, I've I I, I see what's going on. I've paid attention my whole life. Uh, God, he, she, they is are a very important concept to a lot of people. <laughs> not you, right? N- not me. That's fine. You know, I, I, I don't need, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, so agnostic, atheist, atheist. Sure. right But, on. Here's, the thing, but here's the, here's the thing. Uh, I, I don't need a qualifier because I'm confident in my lack of belief, but I also because people are people forget or if you do any reading about this atheists are the most marginalized group of any group people loathe atheists more like if you look like if you look at polls of people running for office the well. person they would least likely vote for is an atheist now me personally I would go completely the opposite way I would be most likely to vote for an atheist now, right. Has
1: it has a political atheist ever come close? Was Ralph Nader an atheist?
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I I've, there's been a lot of conjecture that there are a lot more atheists in politics than is revealed because you cannot for the aforementioned reason I just said before, you it is an untenable political position to say that in our very right. religious culture. Right. In in America. It sucks. That totally sucks. You know, there are I don't want to like name names and I have no data to support any of these things. Some people suspect that a guy like Barack Obama would be an atheist. Comes from an African-American tradition, very African-Americans. True. Again, this is a gross generalization, but there a, 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 seems to be on the whole, a more religious culture than culture at large. Are you nodding? Yes. Am I crazy? Or are no, you I'm, I'm saying just-
1: if I was, if I was Obama's best friend and he was trying to be a, a politician. I'd say between you, you and me, you can try to yeah. be this atheist all you want, but you got to fake it, man. Here's
0: some Haley Jackson you got to learn. Yeah, there are people who talk about it more or less than others, right? Because, again, it's it's a vilified group in our society, right? So I think that—I mean, this this is not the first time I've said this kind of thing in a, in an interview— Um, And I have, you know, you would say the courage of my lack of convictions, but it's not a conviction. I have the courage of my lack of belief. But what I was going to say before is the only asterisk I will give not to qualify my position, except to say that I'm an atheist who believes that love, kindness, empathy, caring, understanding are the most important values you can possibly have. I just do not derive it from the carrot and the stick of some kind of promise of an eternal life after I'm dead. Because I will I will say this, and I'm hardline about this. You, nor the Pope, nor anyone else has any clue what happens when we die. Right. And anyone who tells you otherwise is bullshitting you. Right. It's, it's very simple. No one has any idea. You can hedge your bets. You know, there's that bargain. There's a, there's a name for that paradigm where you, like you live a good life just in case there's a heaven or just in case there's an afterlife. But I just don't need the carrot and the stick. I just think you should do it. Uh, irrespective of that, do it because it's the right thing to do.
1: And I, I would say the Bible would call BS on that bargain because the Bible says you're going to be judged by your heart. So if your heart is, oh, you're just hedging your
0: bets. Next, yeah. Well, you know, I, there's, there's. I mean, this is very deep topics we stumbled into here. This podcast uh, is for real, bro. But it's, uh, I've, yeah, I've given a lot of thought to this. And I've, I've spent my whole life—I like I, I grew up in Catholic schools, and I was, you know, just small-I indoctrinated with that dogma. And none of it ever especially made any sense to me from the get-go, from the earliest stories of Genesis. Now, you could say that these are parables, or you could say that these are ways to comprehend things that took millennia. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But nobody was there— you're telling me someone wrote this down how and why and when and with what and then you get to the Garden of Eden now we've got misogyny right out of the gate you're blaming it on the woman right out of the gate so no I, re- I reject that concept for that simple reason alone
1: Mama sees me there.
0: breath of Let's go to your podcasts. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: One of the podcasts that you do mm-hmm. is with uh, uh, a comedian. Is she a
0: comedian? Or is she a writer? <laughs> a comedian. I'm going to tell her you said that. She's a law school professor. That's right. <laughs> I am totally going to tell her that. She- but you guys don't come across as dry on this thing at all. I, that's not. Of course. that's That's the goal. The goal. Uh, Jessica Levinson is the host. I co-host some of the episodes. She's absolutely brilliant. Whip smart. Uh, met her because she gives, gives a lot of legal commentary. You'll see her on CBS News even now on the, on the regular. Uh, you'll hear her on lots of other news networks, local, international, international. We launched the podcast during the pandemic. The goal was to make, is to make, and continues to be, to make topics of law and politics relatable to people. If, and it's not a podcast for lawyers. It's not a podcast for judges or for members of the judiciary, judicial system, whatever. Uh, it's, and it, it, it's, it blends those two things. The kind of little catchphrase, Bart Simpson catchphrase is like politics and law and a lot of things in between those things, because you need some room to move. Right. You know, the more specific it is, you can find your niche audience, but we really want to make these things relatable because I'm endlessly fascinated by politics. Jessica teaches law and there's a lot of political news, a lot of legal news in our modern world. How did you guys meet? We met as a function of her being a like legal expert. I don't want to say pundit because she's not really a pundit. She's giving her expert legal opinion on matters of legal news started on uh, I was working on Larry Mantle show uh-huh. at KPCC and she was someone that we would book and you know when you book people semi you know it's not regularly because Larry does rotate a large bullpen of guests in and out of his show yeah. but there are some people that are kind of go-tos for certain things and I would book her for things so I kind of got to know her a little bit then wound up at KCRW for a little bit I know that uh, Jessica has done shows and she's uh, I think still does some things with Madeline Brand, oh, uh, who's on KCRW, yep. and who was at the time on KPCC once upon a time. And then when I was at KABC, I produced a show there for about six or seven years, like the senior producer there. Uh, I there was a lot of legal news that needed to be discussed, and I went back through my list of people in my Rolodex, if you remember what one of those is. Did you really have one? No, of course not. <laughs> It's become a, like a term now, kind of like right. Xerox, two Xerox. There's a name for something like that when it's a brand that becomes part of our lexicon. It's There's an Armstrong. <laughs> There's a my friend has another. He has gerunded my name for something else. It's kind of like MacGyvering something. He'll send me like he'll like send a picture of some guy who invented some creative way to stack firewood, and he'll he'll take send me a picture and then type with well, a hashtag Armstronged. Are, you're not producing any of these shows anymore.
1: The, these radio, radio shows. No, no radio so, right now. So All podcasts. If you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. When you call guests like this, do they ever get paid for being on these shows?
0: No. And that's okay with them? They understand well, that? that's kind of like the base tenet of journalism, is you're asking people for their expertise. These talk shows are considered out. journalism? The Which ones? The NPR, oh, KBC? Uh, if, if not... Hard journalism. There's certainly journalism adjacent. Right. For sure. You're discussing issues. And Um, and, and the New York Times doesn't pay their sources. Correct. Right. Yeah. Now, certain situations, not ones I've been involved with, but certain shows, things you see on TV, like... um, When Jessica is a regular contributor to MSNBC, she writes columns in MSNBC, she gets compensated for that. There you go. When she is a regular, she appears regularly. I don't know what the terms of these are in the least. But when you see someone who's a regular contributor to a, like a CBS News or what have you, ABC News, they may have a compensation thing because they're appearing on the regular. But if it's just someone they're interviewing, Joe Schmo, PhD from Rutgers about the Because he or she is an expert in one specific topic, generally no, they're not being paid. So,
1: what's what's a guest like hers motivation to be
0: on Larry's show on Pat Morrison's show? Uh, um, To be completely honest, you should direct that question to her (laughs) or any of these people who appear on those shows. Uh, You know, I know Jessica does a lot of legal commentary. It's something that she's you know built. A side career in that for a long time, and some of them, like I said, she does get compensated for when she writes columns for MSNBC, when she appears on or as a regular on certain. And and maybe that, maybe all these free freebies helped her get that gig at MSNBC. Yeah, it all it all kind of ties in together. Look, think of anybody else in any other endeavor doing what they do, right? There's pro bono work for lawyers. There's uh, when you, gosh, where was I? I was out in the world and I saw uh an advertisement on a ball field for a local business highland cafe sponsors some <laughs> school thing they don't yeah. make money for that but they get their sign up there now we're getting into the like the gray area of exposure people can die of exposure <laughs> but there is a benefit to that in a certain scope or in a certain realm where you're contributing something to someone and you're getting something back that is non like fungible necessarily. Yeah. But it's tied, it's, it's tied into a, a bigger pie. Yeah. It's just one part of it. Right. Because you, you know, as Jessica or other people appear on regular things, I can't speak for anyone else. I can't even speak for Jessica, honestly, nor would I, but when you, to get the paid gig, sometimes you have to do the freebie stuff. I will tie this into mentioning my next podcast because oh, I want to make sure I get a plug sure. in there. I've done this one for over 10 years. Oh, yeah? It's called Independence Day, T-apostrophe S. You can find it. at. Uh, do, you want a, do you want a website? Do you want a URL? I can't remember sure. which one. Uh JoeArmstrong.com slash Indepday. I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. Now, Indepday also is my handle on Instagram, Twitter, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So in
1: Indepday.com take,
0: was taken? I owned it for 10 years. It was stolen from me by a Chinese company just this last uh, fall. They knew its value. Well, I'm not so sure about that. It wasn't like there was tons of traffic on there. But I went to, you know, I, I had to go dormant because it is a performance aspect of it. I bring musicians in. We have a chat, much like we're having a chat now, and they perform a few songs. Now, I mix everything and assemble everything later, so it's not live. Everything's fully mixed and sounds pretty good, at least I hope. It's the goal. Uh, I was The show had to go dormant because I couldn't get musicians singing in a room because you're aspirating and... Vapors and COVID and everything going everywhere. So I suspended the show for most of the pandemic when things started to open up and I was vaccinated and boosted and everything and people were more comfortable. Musicians were more comfortable coming in, started back up again. So I went to the website to see, you know, okay, I haven't been on here in a while. Let's see what's going on. And it was some Chinese gibberish on there. And I just, I, just, I felt like I'd been shot with an arrow through the heart. 10 years. I've worked on this. Wow. It's it's a complicated scenario that involves a faulty automated renew and some other complicated things. But yes, I did own InDepthDay.com for a very long time. Huh. And uh, so it's uh, it happens. It can be that which is yours can no longer be yours through no fault of your own. So the gist of uh, that podcast is getting musicians in yeah. to jam and then talk about music? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes in the music industry in the last 20-ish years. The bottom quite literally fell out financially of the business. Uh, when we were kids, when the CD heyday, cheap to reproduce, they were making money hand over fist. Yeah. Comes, here comes Napster. Here comes the subsequent things. Here comes streaming after that. Uh, we've all watched what's happened with Spotify and Joe Rogan. If nothing else, it has served to illustrate how little money Musicians are being made in other people lined up on all sides of all fences, just like every other divisive issue nowadays. Yep. So wherever you stand on this, look, you fine, just defend your position. Right. But I will tell you from the perspective of a musician, uh, and someone who talks to musicians professionally and someone who knows what, uh, professional musicians who are far higher up in the strata than I am up the pyramid. Uh, the money isn't what it was, right? People see, kanye people see tom petty people see the limousines and the cocaine and m- most musicians aren't making anything close Wh- to which them. which is nuts because when
1: napster was happening and the record labels were sweating bullets because mm-hmm. they were like the pandora's box has been open yep how do we everything how do, we, is free now so how, how do Britain we Welsh. fix it and I don't know about you, but when I was younger,
0: I worked at a record store for a little while. I worked at a record store for a spell. Greatest job in the world, right? It's pretty cool. Mostly, what I was I was paid to do is keep the local high school kids from stealing CD copies of Nirvana's Nevermind. Wow, that was like my prime directive. It got because wow. that was the hottest record at the time. It had come, of course. and it got so bad that we would keep Nevermind behind the counter. <laughs> We'd have ten <laughs> copies of Nevermind. And in the slot, in the CD stacks, would be a, a plate that says, if you want a copy of Nevermind, we've got them. Just come <laughs> s- go see the guy at the counter. The average American at that point
1: was spending something like $35 a year on music.
0: You and I. And those are, uh, that's, those are $1985, which yeah. is a lot more than $35. Ba- basically, they
1: month. were saying every household will buy four or five albums a year. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Just like um, most people will only go to the movie theater two or three times a year, and mm-hmm. that's it. And so during Napster, they were like, okay, so how do we get $45 out of people digitally? What if Napster was a subscription, $5 a month? And, Nap- uh, and so what's that, 60 bucks. So out of the 60 bucks, Napster gets 20 and the record labels get 40 and everybody's happy again. And the consumer's really happy because they get actually more selection. They don't only have four records now. They can have whatever they want. And the record industry is just as fat as they were before Napster.
0: Mm, this true, was the theory. Sure, okay. This was the
1: theory. Okay, I got it. If everybody's still, if, right, if right. the record label is still getting the money, then and Lord knows the labels were fat and happy in the 80s. So what ended up happening? Spotify and all these places show up and it's 10, 12, 15 bucks a month. The labels are part owners of Spotify. They get 50% of the subscription, but the musicians are making way less now. Right. So I kind of think that that's where the the area of solution can be, if I'm being a, a Christian. Well, and look what
0: happened, right? It pushed artists. To live performance as to move their main revenue stream to that. And merge to a certain extent. But, uh, but
1: they shouldn't have to because they were doing that anyhow. Kids are not going to be going to concerts if it's a grand. Hey man, if you
0: Joe, before we leave... You've got some rock and roll coming out, don't you? I do, I do. I have brand new music. I started working on an album before the pandemic. It would have come out before the pandemic, but like so many other things, it got waylaid by the pandemic. So I continued working on it. We have interesting stories about finishing up the vocals because we all couldn't be in the same room. So I ran, I have a producer for this project. So I ran a microphone out into the front yard, set up an easy up out there and a talk back mic. So the producer could talk back to us working on the record. <laughs> So I was in my ISO booth, isolation booth that I built in a closet in my dining room. So and we're my, talking
1: like a good 15 yards away. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, com- everybody was remote. So my engineer was at my studio, which is in the corner of my living room at the, at the control desk area. And he had a mask on. And I was in the ISO booth, all separated from everyone else. Because this, this was long before everyone was vaccinated. Wasn't right. on the horizon yet. Producer was outside because he felt safest being there. So we finished up the vocals that way. <laughs> Uh, It should be coming out by late spring, early summer of this year. There's a huge vinyl backlog right now, though. Supply chain issues that started kind of before the pandemic that just got really exacerbated. So vinyl. Some of the places have quoted me a year to get vinyl. You're pressing this on vinyl intentionally? Intentionally. That's the goal. If people are going to buy physical product now, they're more apt to buy vinyl. People don't really buy CDs anymore. Uh I will press some CDs because you still use them sometimes for promotional purposes Hmm. or coasters, for example. But I, you know, I can CDs are so cheap to replicate that the basic idea is that some will go out to press and radio and that kind of thing. But if people come to a show, I mean, it's kind of like that Radiohead record. Like, I'll sell you a record for whatever you want to give me. Like, you want to take one? Take one. You want to give me five bucks? Give me five bucks. You know, I'd like to sell them for ten. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I don't have either a vinyl player or I don't even think I have a
1: CD player in my house. I have one in my car. Yeah. I think probably the
0: best way for people to give me music is maybe a thumb drive. Yeah. Some people, some artists do that. Like, well, some artists are pressing cassettes now. Going like Ultimate <laughs> Nostalgia. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I, I, that, was a, that was a format. It was a big format when I was in high school. Yeah. It's our main thing, you know, before CDs. Uh,
1: Is there a theme of this new record? What's there, it called, first of all?
0: Uh, I don't have official title. I think I, I don't want to give it away because I think I have a title, but I, I'm 99% sure the artwork's not done yet, so I won't really know until that's been etched in stone. I do have a theme. It was it's, it's kind of a political record because I was pretty pissed off about the lack of empathy that happened in our society. Over the course of the last, let's say, six or seven years, not naming any names. Empathy Um, towards what? Each other. Okay. Each other. People, you know, I've got this, you know, not to get too deep into it, but it seems like Americans just don't like each other anymore. True. You know, they got their head up their own asses. Uh, Not everybody, of course. There's plenty of kindness out there in the world as well. But it's something I definitely watched happen. It was like a groundswell of just this lack of empathy. And the lack of empathy, my reaction to it surprised me. Because you'd think, because look, love begets love, hate begets hate, kindness begets kindness. And if you, you what is it, MLK said, you can't, only love can, get, you know, can conquer hate or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But my reaction to people not having any empathy was to not have any empathy for the people who didn't have empathy. <laughs> it pissed me off. You know, because I like people. I really, really do. I, I talk much like you. I talk to people everywhere I go. And not to an annoying extent, I hope. But I just like people, man. I mm-hmm. like talking to them. I like, and everyone's got a story, and I want to hear everyone's story. But what I found was not that institutionalized racism and things of that nature were a surprise to anybody who'd been actually paying attention for any part of their lives. But it became open. It mm-hmm. became overt. And that made me angry and sad. So I couldn't just, you know, I, would, I, I thought I would make a punk record because... That's kind of the energy for that kind of, like, people are being jerks to everybody. But I'm not the biggest punk fan in the world. It has its place. I, res- I respect it. But my, I, my music is more complex, I think. Tom Petty-style rock and roll is what I go for. I want it to be relatable. You uh,
1: gave me uh, some clips. Uh-huh. Um, why don't you talk to yourself, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about one of these clips and we'll play it.
0: Let's see. What did I send you? I'm trying to remember what I sent you. I, well, I, I need to know which one you're going to play out. You tell because me and I'll play it out. Well, I don't know. I'd have to look at my hard drive. Well, th- uh, tell me your favorite song and then you give me that. Well, songs are like kids, man. I don't have a favorite song. I have favorites of everything. Well, <laughs> you obviously don't have children. I'm a Cub fan as you are. <laughs> Who's your favorite Cub? My favorite Cub is the Cub that's winning at bat at that particular time <laughs> or perhaps winning on the mound. You know, uh, let's see. Uh, it probably makes sense to play, gosh, I wish I could remember what I had sent you. I've done so much work since then, just since yesterday. Let's just go with this. The basic theme of the record, like I said, is that lack of empathy and how it made me feel and how I'm uncomfortable with those feelings of, of lack of empathy. Now, not the whole record's not like that. It's kind of half and half. Some of it are my typical material that talks about girls and cars and dogs and being outside and just living in life you know the people but there's some material on there that's kind of amped up protest songs so one of the songs that i'm guessing you're hearing right now is probably an amped up protest song there's probably some loud crashing guitars some loud crashing drums there's some screaming hammond organ uh, was Ooh. was very. I love the Hammond organ. It's all over the record. Are you playing the organ? Uh, no, I've got a very very talented guy out of Chicago, our hometown, who plays with his day job. He's a blues cat. He's been playing forever. He's a professional guy. Uh, his main gravy gig was playing with a guy named Ronnie Baker Brooks, which was legendary blues musician Lonnie Brooks' son. Mm. So his name's Daryl Coots, and Mr. Coots, Daryl, my friend, has toured all over the world playing in blues bands since he was in his early twenties. And uh, we're kind of buds. And I mean, I pay him. He's a session cat, too. But man, the guy is a genius. He does very close to that Ben montench style, like from the Heartbreakers, Tom sure. Pettis Band. Uh, just a brilliant, brilliant musician. If there was any justice in the world, everyone would know who Daryl Coots was. But I'm very fortunate that he plays on all my records. Got some other heavy hitter cats on this. A uh, bass player named Taras Pradanyuk played with Dwight Yoakam for a number of years, played mm. with Lucinda Williams for a number of years. Now he plays with Richard Thompson. That's his oh, yeah. main gig. Amazing, amazing. He's a wizard on the bass. Brian Whelan produced it. Brian played with Dwight Yoakam for a number of years. He's got a bunch of great records of his own. I'm trying to think who else is on this record. It's, I'm very, very happy to have these people on this record. But I hope everyone, go to joearmstrong.com. You can, you can preview tracks by then. It'll be on Spotify as well and all the streaming services when it does come out. And uh, buy music from musicians. Even if it's not me, buy. If you see a music that you like, the streaming stuff you know not to pile on and I don't want to go down the Joe Rogan road but just put money in their hands none of the musicians you know are making the kind of music money that you think that they're making so put money in their hands it'll make you feel better it'll make them feel better and everybody wins so thanks everybody for listening How great about Eagle Rock that 10 minutes you're at the Greek? I love Eagle Rock, man. I, we've, we've alluded to this in a couple of different ways. I grew up in a flat place. Yeah. You know, there was some glacial terrain around. So it is uh, my favorite thing. Now, I wish people wouldn't move here because I would like to stay here. But we can't you're, afford you're to buy. You're moving to Bakersfield. Just don't say such thing. Uh <laughs> There but I love that there are undeveloped hills around. That's a huge, huge have you climbed Eagle Rock? I've not. I've been past it a million times. It's a kind of a short little thing. Is it possible to climb Eagle Rock? I think I've seen photographs of people kind of up there. I think you kind of come from the back way. I don't know that you go up like the Eagle part that faces the 134. I think you kind of go around the back way. I think you can go up there I've hiked all around these hills I hiked um, tying more things together I did the John Muir Trail a couple years ago uh-huh. in the summer of 2020 you hate the box I keep trying to put you in you do I do no boxes but this is going to be this is going to be germane to it though uh, it's going to tie into Eagle Rock exactly you mark my words the When the pandemic hit and ever the the the, uh, the hammer dropped, everything closed. even the hiking trails closed for a while. Did they really everything closed? Why would they close? Well, they didn't know at the very beginning. people forget at the very beginning of this. We know so much more now. At the very beginning, people were bleaching their groceries on a daily basis. True. We had no idea how virulent this was, how transmissible it was, how deadly it was. The church across from the street still do that. Uh, everything, everything was closed. Even little local hiking trails were closed. So, uh, my lady, special lady friend and I are very active. We have a dog. We like to get out and hike. So, initially, we're just doing like urban hikes, just walking around. When I, t- I've toured internationally, tying even more things together. I would take running shoes. So, I've jogged in Tokyo. I've jogged in Nagoya. I've jogged in Brisbane, Australia. I've jogged in Sydney. Jogged in Melbourne. Jogged in Germany. Jogged in England. Uh, you had to go on the other side of the street to jog in England. But you, you, when, you, when you're going slowly, you see things in the neighborhood. You experience the neighborhood. You smell what people's food cooking smells like. Isn't that the best? You, t- you talk to people. You, you bump into people. Uh, I, I love that. But, but hold on, hold on. I'm going to tie it all together. This is all a big thing. Tom Waits said, there's no
1: better way to listen to music than down the alley through an open window.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Waits an idol of mine. Don't have many heroes, but Tom Waits is a hero of mine. The tying it all together, if I can do this, all the hiking trails were closed. I luck into the golden ticket for the John Muir Trail. These are very, very hard permits to get. The traditional route starting in Yosemite Valley at Happy at, uh, at Happy Isles, which is close to Curry Village, hiking all the way 210 miles through the Sierra Nevada to Mount Whitney summit, and then you hike out about 11 miles and you come home. What? Uh, Two hundred miles? Two hundred twenty or so, all total. Each way. Well, you do it one way. It's a through hike. Oh. Pacific Crest Trail's what, way. There's longer. a
1: helicopter is going to fly you home? No, no.
0: Someone picks you up at the Mount Whitney. You can hike out to Whitney Portal, which is a right special long lady line. friend or like, special, like a real. In friend? In my case, my special lady friend came to get wow. me. Wow! I've got the coolest special lady friend in the entire. You do. Uh, I will go on record as saying that I'm extremely lucky every day. But. This is the Eagle Rock thing. This is getting it back to the, tying it into everything. This is the this is the box bit. I promise. So, but I've got a train now, and I can't hike on the big mountains. I live in Eagle Rock. I've got hills all over the place. I get my backpack. I throw thirty or forty pounds worth of stuff in the backpack, and I drop on some headphones and I just start walking around the neighborhoods. I'm up in uh, Adams Hill. I'm up in across Eagle Rock by Occidental where those solar panels are. I'm up. Uh, all over the place. Just I would hike six hours in a day. I I have no idea how many miles it is. Now it's not the same thing as being in terrain, you know. But I'm I'm wearing you know running shoes, whatever. But you know, look, man, necessity is the mother of invention, and off you go. So people of Eagle Rock, if you see Joe Armstrong,
1: people of Eagle Rock with a backpack with thirty pounds of bricks or whatever,
0: sprinkle your hose on him. If it's a hot day, sure? like like, nice. like, you know, screw with them a little bit. Or, or put up a lemonade stand,
1: tacos. no, I'm saying I'm saying, mirror what that Muir trail's
0: going to be like. Mm-hmm. Release some bears. Yeah. <laughs> I saw four bears over my uh, <laughs> my John Muir Trail hike.
1: I hear, I hear your dog yep. trying so bad to oh, the dog. get a hug. Oh, and the special lady friend. Here she comes. Hey! All right, I think that means that this is the end of our conversation.
0: Tony, thank you for taking the time. Joe,
1: man. God bless you. Be uh, safe out there.
0: bless you as well. Oh, I said
1: God bless you. I'm sorry.
0: That's OK. Yeah, look, I'm not offended, man.
1: How great was Joe? You know who we'd also like to have an all-star rock and roll jam with? our Patreons, who are just a cowbell away. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a new music stand. Here's a used microphone. Here's a damn banjo. Every donation you hand over helps us keep this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinke, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, and Bree Wild. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash hereinLA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you gotta do is pay us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website forever. You we will also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Number two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Chang. And eight is Brenda Garcia. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but the dude who should've paid you around Christmas time still ain't paid you, and it's March, and you're pissed because you know he's got it, and he's just holding out? Well, you can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Tweet something nice about us. Tell your friends. Tell all your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who even comedians hire to lead their band, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Original songs by Orgone, Jordan Katz, and in this episode, Joe Armstrong. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for aspiring this, and KPCC for hiring Joe way back in the day, which is how we got to meet each other. Long live Pat the Hat!